Well, good morning. Week number four. Here we are. This is great. Great to be with you this morning. And a welcome to anybody joining us online or in person that uh, you're new to Lakeside. Great to have you here. Or you maybe haven't been here for a while, as many of us are making our way back safely and carefully. That's great. We appreciate that. So uh, we are in a series uh, for six weeks. Wow. And uh, we're, we're trying to discover how do, we, how do we respond to what God has done for us? How do we love God? And um, just, uh, again, a note that uh, we have a handout for you. So if you don't have one of those, I think they're out in the foyer on a table. And so you can take that, make notes in it, take it home. And uh, lots of the information that you'll see on the slides, and obviously that I'm speaking on, is captured here. So you can uh, take a look at that and keep that. We started uh, with an introduction. And our introduction was that God initiates a relationship with us based on love. And we must determine how we're going to respond to that. So something has been sent our direction, now what? And we learn from our passage, which we'll read in a few minutes, that Jesus speaks to, well, what this response perhaps should look like. And he talks about loving God with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, loving others. So then we talked about the heart, and we talked about the fact that to love God with all our heart is to submit our will, seek to obey his commands, and live under his authority. And we started there, and that's an important place to start to deal with our will. And then last week we talked about the soul. To love God with our soul is to desire and pursue him with all of our being and give our personality to him to be shaped by his will. So today we're going to move forward, but as we do, we're going to read our passage, and we're looking at the passage from Mark chapter 12. And in verse 28, we we see this interaction uh, between uh, some of the people and, and teachers of the law and so on with Jesus. And Jesus is asked a question. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. And he asked of him... Of all of the commandments, and we we learned in our introduction that there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws and commandments and such that people were to be following. What was the most important one? And Jesus answers, Hear, O Israel, the the Lord God is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater command than these. So that's where we've been trying to unearth, disclose, come to some kind of understanding of what does Jesus mean? Why does he mention all of these parts of us as we are to think about how we use those elements or parts of us, our totality, so to speak, as a person, to love God. And so today we're looking at the mind. 
Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Some definitions in terms of, we, I try and, okay, what do we mean by that or what's kind of going to frame our discussion for this morning. And so when we talk about the mind, it's really this part of us uh, that allows us or helps us or equips us or is that part of us that helps us see and understand life, see and understand what's going on around us, interpret uh, all of the things that are happening. And so as we hear things, discover things, see things, our mind does something with all that data, with all that information, and we then come to some kind of a conclusion, right? And we come to some kind of understanding. So by way of introduction, really, it's our ability to receive and understand and that's what, that's what our mind does for us. It's that ability that's located in our mind. Uh, and, and it's this part of us that, it's, it's just incredible how God's created us that way. It's interesting, too, because as we look all through Scripture, we see references to our minds, and, and certainly a very common passage, and we'll refer to it later this morning. But Romans 12 talks about a transformed mind. So obviously the mind is important to us. It's important to God. It's an important part of how we were created and how we operate as as people. And we need to see things with our mind that's been transformed, and we'll talk more about that. The idea is, is that as our mind is transformed, it helps us to be able to see things the way that God wants us to see and understand things. And so obviously for, like our heart, like our soul, like our personality, and our mind, those parts of us need to be redeemed. Without that redemption, without God stepping in and helping us, without our understanding from Scripture what our mind is to be like, we therefore have a worldly mind. In our natural state, sin has corrupted or marred how our mind is to work, how our mind is to see and understand in terms of what God intended for us. And so that brings us to this idea that we're to be renewing our mind. And again, we'll look at that in more detail in a few minutes. And it's interesting, this, this idea uh, and how important the mind is, just, just an interesting note, is that as we understand something, that then affects our behavior. So if I understand that when the light is red, I'm supposed to stop, then I should, hopefully, stop. If I was to understand that the light being red means I'm supposed to go, then I would go. That's not what we teach when we learn to drive and teach our students in driving school. We teach them that green is go and red is stop. But if you understand something completely different, then you're going to drive differently. Right? So for those of us that have ever had the opportunity to drive in another country, you need to renew your mind in the understanding of what their laws are. I've had the opportunity to drive in Australia uh, and New Zealand where they don't drive on the same side of the road. And if my understanding from here is not changed, I'm in big trouble, as well as other poor people that are out driving uh, the same time I am. Uh, 
And so as we understand things, our behavior or our actions result. So then if we want to change our actions and our behavior, we need to change our minds or renew our minds or transform our minds. And this is why I think in Scripture, particularly in Romans, such a core passage for us this morning, we, need, we begin with the renewing of our minds and then the behavior that comes out of that, right? So if God can, can work and renew our minds, then our behavior and our actions are that which is what God would intend. All right, so change our understanding and then we'll change our behavior. So our sermon in a sentence this morning is to love God with our minds is to be a mind transformed, accepting scriptural truth, and living in settled peace and disciplined in our thought processes. Whoa, sounds easier said than done. As many of us and all of us at some point, we struggle with what's going on in our minds and trying to align that with the truth of Scripture. But that's our, that's our, our goal, as we, we love God with our minds, is to transform them, accepting that scriptural truth, and then living in settled peace, disciplined in our thought processes. And we're going to get into a little bit of that this morning. So, the transformation of the mind. This is our first uh, section we're going to look at here. So, Romans 12, and I've mentioned this a few times, I'm going to read it. Because this talks about this transformation and what it is and its importance. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Interesting, because this, just to stop there for a minute, this first part of this section of Scripture really is all about this essential commandment. God has done this incredible thing for us. It's only reasonable that we respond and live in a totality way to respond to that love, holy and pleasing to God, our true and proper worship. The second sentence here, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's saying there, don't behave and act the way the world does, and then it says, change your mind. And again, that's implying the fact that my mind changes and then my behavior changes. It doesn't say, stop acting like that and start acting like this. Stop acting like that, change your mind, and then your actions will flow out of that. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this is... This is a, a, just a foundational thing to, for us to, to kind of capture and grasp as we think about the mind. Paul locates the transformation into Christ-likeness, really, in our mind. So as we interact in our world and as we interact with other people and all that sort of thing, that all comes as a result of a transformed mind. And so we need to focus a little bit on that, and we love God by doing the work in our minds. Now, there's a couple of things here in this particular passage. Uh, the, the schema is, is really a root word for conform. So when Paul says, do not conform, 
It's, it's really the scheme is this, this outer part of us, right? So don't just kind of do things. Don't just change externally and what's going on, and so I kind of look like I'm accepted by the world or whatever, but that's not, that's not the kind of... That's not the kind of transformation that we're, we're looking for. Don't just adapt yourself to what's going on and, and that kind of thing in terms of your thinking or how you do things or conduct yourself. And instead, we don't let the world around us squeeze us into its mold. Right? And that's, that's difficult because we're so immersed in everything that's going around us. And now, more than ever, the amount of information that is at our fingertips and in front of us in all the various forms from social media to TV to what we see on billboards to just how we see all the people that live around us is incredible amount of information that we have to figure out. And it's so easy to just go, I guess that's just the way it is, and I guess that's truth, and I guess that's reality. And we get kind of squeezed into that. Don't be like a chameleon who really just changes the outer skin color you know, to match its surroundings, adapting to whatever is popular in thinking and in our culture. We don't want to be like that. Don't be easily swayed. We don't want to just have surface thinking that so easily as we see things or information, we're so easily swayed. Oh, I guess, I guess, I guess that was wrong and this is right. And oh, ne- next day that's wrong and this is right. We want to have some, some deeper transformation going on. And that leads us to the idea of transformation, which comes from the root word, root, root word, pardon me, to morph. And to morph is becoming new from the inside out, right? So this is much more like this idea that we so are familiar with here, the caterpillar that becomes a butterfly, right? Completely different creature, right? It's incredible. The change is significant. It's not a chameleon that's basically all the same, just a different skin tone. This is a, a, a new creature transformed. And so this idea that we are to have an entirely new way of looking at things, at processing things. And our mind will help us to see and understand, and as it's completely transformed, all of a sudden we see things and understand things differently. We need to seek God with our mind, not just our heart, not just our soul. We understand that God's word, and we transform our mind. And so this, this way that we respond to God, it's not just an emotional, you know, if we talk about the heart and how we understand that that tends to be that emotional side, which is wonderful, and we respond, and there's emotion there, and we're so, all the feels and all that that comes with understanding who God is and who we are and how much he loves us, that's so great. But we respond to God with our soul, our person, and all that, and our minds. It's not just an emotional journey. There's more to it than that. And emotions, and so on and so forth. We're going to talk a little bit about the mind, just to understand the mind, and this idea that the mind is this filter, the way we see things. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So the, uh, 
Matthew 6, to 23 says this, The eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if we understand that the mind is, is sort of, in this case, that verse uses our eyes, but really it's our mind that helps us see and understand things. If our mind, that which helps us perceive and understand things, is healthy, then hopefully the whole body is healthy or has the right understanding, the right interpretation of what we're seeing. And so this idea of our mind as a filter and making sure that the filter is working properly. And if you think about different filters that you might be familiar with, like a filter in your furnace, uh, if we don't regularly clean that or, or change it, it starts to affect the heating system or the cooling system in our homes. The, the, the cabin filter in our vehicles uh, also needs to be replaced on a regular basis. The oil filter in our motors in our cars, and you, you get the idea. There's filters that are important, and we need to make sure that they are healthy. And as we already discovered, it's the mind that helps us see and understand these things. And so if we get a bit of a picture of what we're referring to with the mind, the makeup of the mind, then maybe we'll have a sense of that. So let's go through a few things. The first one is beliefs. Our minds contain our beliefs. You could even say our values as well. And there's an old adage that goes, seeing is believing. Well, I would put out to you that actually believing is seeing. What we believe is what we see, interpret, understand. And so as we set beliefs in our minds, values in our minds, things, and we ingrain those things and we set those... It changes the way we interact, we behave, we respond. Uh, the, the story of the Titanic, uh, and again, there's a lot to that tragedy that occurred, but the fact that they believed that that boat could never sink changed their behavior when it was sinking to the point that I understand that so many more lives could have been saved had they believed that that wasn't the case. If they had believed that, you know what, any boat can sink, which we all hopefully believe that. If we believe, if they believed that, it would have changed their behavior. But because they believed something different, they responded differently. Think of when you see someone who is sitting on the side of the street panhandling, you know, a homeless person. How you see that person, how you understand that person, depends on what you believe about that person. Do you believe that they were lazy and they just, you know, didn't work hard enough in life? Right? That they're just, you know, a slacker and all, all whatever you want. They made poor decisions, they're... they're They're not intelligent. I don't know. And if we believe that about that person, then our response probably is, well, you got what you deserved and on my way. And perhaps I don't react and reach out and help. But if I believe something different, 
the fact that that person is on hard times, maybe through no act of their own. Maybe it's, maybe it's other people in their lives or tragedies that have happened to them that have caused them to find themselves in this situation. And depending on what we believe about that person, it changes how we respond or think about that person and then respond. And so we might be generous or we might stop and, and have a word or go and buy a, uh, a meal and drop it off to that person depending on how we view that. You kind of get that, that idea. Our beliefs cause us to interpret what we hear and see. In scriptural example, what you have done to the least of these. Do we see and understand the least of these? And, and how do we see them and how do we respond to those? And Jesus says, when you respond to the least of these, really... You're seeing them the way that I see them if you respond to them as if they were me. Right? What we believe is important. We see what we believe. What we believe in our minds matters. And I don't have time to go into it today, but if you don't have your own personal statement of beliefs, you know, organizations have those and our church has those, you need to have those. What are they? And hopefully they're formed and foundational on Scripture. Irrational beliefs. This is, you know, things that are and take up residence. They're truths that we allow into our minds that really don't have any evidence or support. But yet we still hold on to them as truth. And... A lot of times they're impossible to live up to. They're very difficult for us to, to deal with. Things like, I've got to, or I must, or I ought, or if I don't, you know, and all the things that result in that. Someone's going to think poorly of me, or if, I don't know, whatever, if my vehicle isn't clean, they're going to think I'm lazy. Or, like, there's just all these things that we have in our minds. They're, they're irrational in terms of the fact that they're truths that we've, we've made, but what are they based on? And we need to recognize what those things are. You know, I must be loved and liked by everyone. That's an irrational belief. You know, I must be competent in all that I do. No. All right, go back to last week where we talked about the importance of understanding your uniqueness and that there are core things that you were created and designed to do and there are other things that are not in your core. They're more your chore. And you need to do what God's created you to do. And in doing so, that's how we love God. Right? We find out who we are. We find out what, what just makes us tick and work and so on as God's created that. Redeemed, obviously, but we do that. I must never fail at anything. Rational belief, right? Sure, none of us like to fail, but yeah, let that go, right? And it doesn't change who you are as a person, right? My value is based on how others perceive me as a man or as a woman, not true, but <clears throat> why is that in there? I must have everyone's approval. And some of you are like, yeah, check, 
check, whatever, right? And I don't know what irrational beliefs you have, but we need to replace these irrational beliefs with God-centered ones, right? We need to reform, renew, transform, completely change those things. All right, next is attitudes. These are predispositions towards things or ideas or people. It's a state of mind regarding something. Perhaps it's an inclination towards some idea or concept. And we must test these predispositions and attitudes against Scripture. What are they based on? All right, so what's our attitude? Right? We need to transform that. Expectations. These are what we are certain should happen. <laughs> and again, are these based in truth? We are often disappointed because of our false or unrealistic expectations. Uh, in our leadership program at Mediva Prasago, one of the things that we teach in leadership as you lead people, one of, one of the first challenges for you to work through is that you believe that everyone does and should think like you do. That, that's, that's, a, that's a hard place to start as you start to go and lead people because they don't. And if our expectations are such that, oh, and they're not based in reality, that's a, that's a real challenge. And so we need to base them in reality with an understanding and wisdom from Scripture. Perceptions. These are judgments that we have made on minimal data. There's a... a interesting story where Chuck Swindoll is at a conference and um, uh, sort of like a family conference so he's speaking there all week and families are staying at this conference campground whatever it is and so each day he speaks and the families come and so on and first day he's speaking there's a couple that shows up and they walk in and uh, sit down and within minutes of him getting up to speak, the husband's just dozing off. And he's trying to focus, but it's, a, you know, when you're up here and you see how people react and people are sleeping, you're like, oh, okay. Again, we got to back up to some of these irrational beliefs. I must be doing a terrible job because someone's falling asleep. Not necessarily, but he's falling asleep. Kind of ignores it. Next day, same thing. Next day, you know, and it's like the third or fourth day, and it's just, you know, Chuck is thinking, and he's telling this story. He's like, I can't believe how spiritually immature this person is. I can't believe that they just aren't ready and willing to listen to all the wonderful things I have to teach. <laughs> right? And starts to think ill of that person or less of that person. Day five, he finishes up. He's kind of standing at the front, and the, 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 the wife of this couple comes up. Husband's still sitting on the chair there. He says, this, she says, this has been the most incredible week 
incredible. I, I am so thankful. My husband has been so blessed by this. And he's like, lady. He's been snoring, right? Like, you know. And she goes on to explain that he's in a end-of-life stage with a terminal disease. And he's on significant medication, but was well enough to be able to come and hear his favorite speaker one last time. Chuck Swindoll's like, ugh. Right? Our minds can be so judgmental on hardly any information. And so we need to change that. We need to suspend our judgment and seek first to understand. And then the spirit of our mind is kind of this term I'm going to use where it's this inner atmosphere of what's kind of going on in our minds. It's this atmosphere, perhaps maybe we talk about what's our self-talk? How do we think about ourselves? These kinds of things. How we see ourselves. Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it cynical? Or are we open to learning? And the goal is for us to have a Christ-like or a peace-like mind. And we're going to talk about this in a few minutes. But this idea that hopefully we have a mind of rejoicing. Right? And we'll talk about that, a rejoicing disposition. Okay, let's move on to the way of transformation. And uh, Proverbs 23, 7 Uh, There's a little short little snippet in there that's very interesting. And in the King James it says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And again, so this this idea or this the law of cognition, some of you are familiar with that, that we are what we think. Right? And so this transformation, again, we've already covered a lot of this, but this transformation part is, is we have to change the things that we're thinking about. It's the way that you think or creates your attitudes or shapes your emotions. It governs your behavior. Everything about you flows out of how you think. And we can choose the way that we think. And hopefully we choose a path to Christ-likeness. And I realize that for some of us, we struggle with the control of how we think and what we think. And uh, we can get help with that. But the idea is, is that we want to think about certain things. This is important. And so how do we change that? How do we change what we're thinking so that it changes and and allows us to move to Christ-likeness in our actions and in our behavior? Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. And that takes discipline. That is sometimes difficult. This is the law of exposure. Our minds think about what they are exposed to. The events we attend, the material we read, the music we hear, the TV shows, movies, images, social media, etc., etc., that we watch and take into our minds, the conversations we have with one another, the dreams we dwell on, all shape our mind. 
And if we can immerse our minds in things that are right and lovely and noble and pure, then this right thinking will lead to right living. And this is an area that Satan works and knows that he can derail us uh, because if he can get us to focus on and immerse our minds in worldly things, in other things other than God's word and what is right and pure and lovely and all those things, he knows if he can get our minds, he can get and see our behavior changed. And so that's a challenge. So we protect ourselves from that. And so we need to be careful about what we think and what we expose our minds to. This leads us to having the mind of Christ. In Philippians 4, 4 to 13, is a, I won't read the whole passage, but there's a few things here that are some tidbits that we'll, we'll focus on as we, we finish up here. This whole passage starts with, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Then it goes on to say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present with thanksgiving your request to God, and the peace of mind will transcend your heart. And then there's that section we already read, whatever's true and noble and so on. So this is, this is what we need to do, and here's how we do it. And then at the end in verse 12, it says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and all situations, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And so Paul here touches on the fact that circumstances are not what determine whether we have peace and contentment, right? He's saying it doesn't matter what the situation is. God can still provide. I can still see and have and exist in peace and contentment and rejoice in the Lord always. And, and that's, that's a hard thing to do. And uh, appreciate what Lindsay had to share this morning where it's like that tragedy and what happened and why God and, and, and how do you have peace in all that? And somehow through all that circumstance, there's, there's peace through that. There are things about God and who God is and who she is and her daughter is and their family is that never change through that circumstance. Even though there was a world of hurt and a world of harm and, and just confusion and disappointment and madness, mad, being mad at God perhaps. But there were things that never changed. And those things are what we can draw on for peace. We can do all this through Christ who gives us strength. And we read that in verse 13. There are no barriers to God's love. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God, both in truth, the truth of that love, but also the presence, God's Holy Spirit. That, that We're not separated from that. I am with you until the end of the age. And we read that in Matthew 28 as Jesus gives the great commission and then says, don't forget, you're not alone. I am with you through all of this. And certainly if we follow the journey of the disciples, some of them had some very difficult ministries. And Jesus says, I'm with you until the end. 
There's no barriers to God's love. That doesn't mean there isn't difficulty. That doesn't mean there aren't difficult times. It doesn't mean we don't struggle with our minds. But the truth of God's love and the presence of God through his Holy Spirit are always true and always there. Next, we are favored grace children of God. God loves us as his own children, and that is what we are. Dearly loved children of God. God went to great lengths to restore and have a relationship with us. And in Romans eight fifteen and 16, it says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And as we come to know who Jesus is, as we accept that, as we make that decision, as we become a disciple of Jesus, the Holy Spirit becomes part of our life, indwells us, and that spirit connects with our spirit as a person. And ah, it's amazing. Testifies that we are God's children. And then the love of God through the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christian community as well. So don't, don't ever forsake Christian community. We are given community. We need community. We're going to talk about this in our last time where we talk about loving others and how much that's a big part of what we were created to do. And God knows the importance of others in our lives as we go throughout our lives. And as one rejoices, we rejoice. As one suffers, we suffer. This community is significant. And the presence of Christ in the people of God that we surround ourselves with will also help us to experience peace of mind and joy in the midst of whatever our circumstances are. And I just want to make a note here. I recognize that this idea of the mind and transforming our mind, easier said than done, And for some of us, this is not as big a challenge as it is for others. And if it is a challenge for you, and this is an area of struggle, don't be embarrassed about that. And don't be embarrassed to get help. Help from one another, maybe even professional help. Lots of great Christian counselors and Christian people out there, professionals that can help us with this transformation of our minds. And God wants to be a part of that, wants to see that redeemed. And so if you're struggling with that, and I just can't seem to work this through with my family and my friends and my you know, Bible, you may need some, some additional help. And that's, that doesn't mean you're unspiritual or that God's not there. right? God can work through those ways as well. So seek that out and uh, make use of that as we transform and have the mind of Christ. Our core truth this morning, the mind is the lens through which we see life. It is imperative that the mind be cleansed of falsehood. Scripture teaches our minds have been distorted because we refuse to acknowledge God as the ultimate reality, which has in turn led to false assumptions about life. We love God with our minds by absorbing the truth about God who, sorry, about who God is and aligning our minds and our lives accordingly. Okay? And our memory verse is Romans 12, 
Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And a few questions for reflection, if you'd like. Do I recognize the need to transform my mind? What filters do I need to conform to God's point of view? And what inputs do I need to change that affect my thinking that is currently contrary to Scripture? And finally, the essential commandment from Jesus, the most important one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater command than these. Mark 12, 29 to 31. Let's pray. Father, lots to think about this morning with our minds. And uh, we recognize... Uh, the complexity, the importance, the significance of our minds. And Father, we recognize that you created us with so many facets and parts of us as people. And our minds, we are thankful for because uh, they really do separate us from all the rest of of creation and, and what we can do and think and believe and such. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Father, we pray that as we love you with our minds, as we recognize and transform and then see our behavior changed as a result of that, we just pray for that. Pray as we think about how we have a Christ-like mind. And Father, we just pray that you would uh, be with us through your spirit and help us in that way. And Father, that we would see a transformed mind. And Father, may... May we love us with all of us, and we commit these things to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.